So let me stop here and see if there are uh, questions or comments about any of this. So do we have a, a microphone? Great. Is it Tom? Yes. Yeah. A bit of a change of focus uh, with this question. Maybe you want to answer it elsewhere. But I'm here as an engaged uh, partner. Great. Uh, I, for some reason, I'm not attracted to the word caregiver because I, you know, I, I'm an engaged partner. Got you. And um, <clears throat> so... Uh, as you move forward in the rest of the afternoon, I would appreciate two or three perspectives yeah. for you know people like me. Thank you. Um, secondly, I would like to report that in my relationship with my partner Rita here, um, that <clears throat> I have found information sharing about pain condition is is a topic that we've had to, to work on. <clears throat> One, um, uh, her not wanting to burden me with complaining, mm -hmm. and uh, but yet me wanting to be informed so I can be both caring and responsive. Um, I have a few things that we do together uh, that from time to time help her pain. I, I'm a self-taught massage therapist, and she's my only client. And, um, and she seems very happy about that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so uh, you know, I have a table, and, yeah. and, and we do massage periodically. Yeah. Not enough that... Yeah. In my view. But anyway, those are my thoughts Thank you. and inquiry right Thank now. Thank you. Great. Yeah. So, um, just bows to you for your practice and for your um, generosity. Uh, so, uh, I think there are different ways that uh, those of us who are in the role of um, support for others, however that's characterized, can use these tools in practice. Um, I think one very important aspect is taking them in and practicing with them in yourself. Because as, as we said at the beginning of the day, this practice is really for everyone. Because we all feel pain, and we all will eventually face illness and death. It's inevitable. So it's, you know, uh, that's, the, I think, the primary, one of the primary things is to not separate oneself. Um, you are temporarily able-bodied and healthy. It's a temporary condition. Yeah. So, um, so it's really for your own benefit, um, initially, to recognize that and practice in that way. That then becomes a service to your partner the more you practice in this way because um, it will develop compassion 
as you face and, and explore your own pain. Um, and then it will also develop uh, wisdom as you, dis- as you become more agile in your own practice and develop these tools, then you have that capacity to be a support and a guide and a spiritual friend by sharing your own experience and wisdom and discussing the Dharma together in that way. So that's, that's a, second, uh, a second area that's kind of, kind of just directly applying these tools for yourself. Um, The third thing that comes to mind um, that's, a, that's a broader exploration but which I'll, I'll mention and you sort of alluded to it in the information sharing part is um, being being uh, Deepening your awareness, which I'm just sort of intuiting is already there, um, of your own boundaries and needs in the in the relationship, um, because uh, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful uh, connection to support someone in, who's facing difficulty in any way. Um, but in order for that support to be um, kind of like a, as nourishing as it can be for both people, uh, it needs to be clean. In the sense, meaning it needs to be coming from a place of uh, of choice and and uh, uh, conscious, willing giving. Otherwise, then we start to get into um, resentment, resistance, too much giving, obligation, uh, all of those ways that uh, giving becomes um, perverted when there, when there isn't awareness. So uh, it can be a very um, joyful and rich and uh, poignant uh, cycle of giving and receiving, but but it's but it's one it's it's one where we we experience our vulnerability on both sides, the the vulnerability of being able to receive, right, and the sensitivity to that. So so all that to say, I'm just kind of sketching out right this whole arena to to begin to explore and include um, the sense of choice and autonomy and boundaries. Um, around that engagement and that dance, and then that becomes a very rich, a very rich place to explore. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. And as other things come up, I'll uh, I'll see if I can I can weave them into that question. Yeah, behind you. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm 28, um, and I've this is the first time I've experienced physical pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've experienced emotional pain, but physical pain is very new to me. Mm-hmm. Not only like the sensation, but how to understand it and how to organize my being and life around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've felt so far that younger people tend to not experience pain compared to older people and people who have experienced 
pain tend to know how to relate to it better. So people like my partner or close friends who are my age, I feel like they want to understand, but they just don't know how because they haven't experienced it. Right. Versus like mentors and family and friends of mine who are older right. just know how to be there for me without me saying anything. Right. Um, so I guess I'm asking or wanting any... I don't know how to... I don't know what to expect or how to ask or not ask from people who don't understand. And it, like, it's, not, it's not their fault. Yeah. I just don't know how to create that understanding so that I can be comfortable and they can be comfortable. Mm. Mm, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm connecting to like a certain... Both like a certain loneliness and sadness and also maybe a certain frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And just like this longing for, for more ease yeah. in the relationships, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Randy and I were talking about this on the break about how uh, um, in, in the experience of... Um, a more chronic pain or illness, um, that there can be particular challenges to that happening at a younger age. When the the the, the story of, of should be, <laughs> right, is different. And then as you're pointing to that the community relationship is different. Yeah, I think too a challenge is that if I ask for help, especially from someone who doesn't know that I'm in pain, they think I'm joking, uh, or they'll laugh like I'm like they're like you're kidding. Sure, so it's, right. Like I don't have I'm not in a wheelchair. I don't have a cane, but right. like, I'm in pain all the time. Right. So it's just hard to navigate that process for myself yes. and others around me to be yes. more aware. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So th- there are a few things that come to mind to share. Um, the first is. Um, Where we, where we started our day, which is I'm waiting for the words to how to say this that's um, in line with my intention. My sense is that the the quality of willingness um, and compassion for yourself that you bring to this question Mm -hmm. and its exploration in your life um, can be a great teacher and gift for you. Yeah. And it sounds like you know that already. <laughs> yeah. So I want to affirm that. Yeah, thank you. I want to affirm that. And, and it's like, you know, it's a hard pill to swallow. Um, but there's that sense of turning towards it, of including it, of just that, that sense of like landing on your own two feet and just like, whew, okay, 
you know? How do I do this? How do I do this? And so much will has been probably already learned and will continue to develop and learn around how to be authentic, how to be real, how to not apologize for yourself, how to not take on other people's reactions, how to set a clear boundary, you know, how to ask for help in a way that's empowered and not helpless. Right? All of that and, and the, the tr- this, this tremendous well of strength and clarity um, and power that can develop from that exploration. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sort of the, f- the first kind of level or frame that, that comes for me. And being able to navigate that space of... I was talking with a man in uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I, I, I was teaching on this topic uh, earlier this year. And, you know, similar situation... Um, uh, you know, he's a guy in his late 30s, early 40s, looks big and strong and is in chronic pain and, you know, has to ask for someone, you know, or somebody asked him, you know, could you help me carry this bag? And he said, no. <laughs> you know, and that choice of like when to just say no and when to explain and everything that comes along with that. Um, so one of the things that we talked about is... Um, coming up with a few short, clear, canned phrases that you just have memorized where you don't need to think about or navigate the situation. You know, and maybe even have some already that you find yourself saying, but you know where you can say just in like a sentence or a phrase, um, I have a chronic pain condition and I could use some help. Or, you know, whatever the the, the thing that that communicates the essential information in a way that doesn't open up a whole dialogue that you're not interested in having in the moment. It gives the person the information and it gives them the very clear request of what they can do to help in this moment, right? You know, I have a chronic pain condition. I'm I'm fine right now. I could use a hand with this. Could you help? Um, Yeah, and then as far as the friends that like just community goes, what comes to mind for me are are two things. So one is um, reaching out and finding other relationships with people your age who can relate. So, you know, look around at who's here today and connect with a couple people, right? Get a phone number um, so that you you actually start to have um, peers, who can understand, which I think is really important. Uh, so that's one. And then um, two is choosing which relationships you want to invest the energy into to explain, because otherwise it's going to be exhausting. And just really taking care to choose who, who's, the, who's the inner circle that it's important for you to take the time to sit down with people and say, look, it's really important for me to have some close friends who understand what I'm going through, and it's hard to explain, but I have a sense that you could understand if we took the time. Are you, are you open to that? Are you willing to that, to just listening to me and hearing what's going on? You know, and, and it's tricky to then say, like, I don't need you to take care of me. I'm okay. 
I just want you to, un- I just want you to have the information and understand, right? Because then there's that, that, that sense of them feeling overwhelmed or trying to take care of you. So you'll have to take responsibility in the conversation to guide them, to actually let them know very clearly and specifically what it is you want from them in the conversation so that they don't start to feel burdened or like they have to take care of you in some way. So that's, that's two. And then three, I think, is, you know, w- then with the people who are not in that inner circle but still are friends, finding, finding a way, again, to just communicate what's, what's needed. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so this gentleman in the blue and then the front. Uh, I'm interested in your opinion about the differences between approaching difficulties through what you've been describing and the somatic training that you've had. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because I've had both. Um, but I have serious challenges with relaxing. Mm-hmm. So it's been very difficult for me to ever meditate on my own. I can okay. do it, but not very well. Okay. Because I live alone, so right. most of the time I'm by myself. So with the, uh, without the presence of other people around me, uh-huh. um, it's very hard for me to be fully relaxed. Got it. Without that sense of nervous system co-regulation. That's right. Uh-huh. And so... But the other thing that I've noticed, and I'm wondering if you have an opinion about this, is that um, affecting my reaction to the world using what you're teaching today seems quite different than doing it somatically. But they seem to be having the same effect in a way. If it, does that make any sense? Because one is cognitive, the other is non-cognitive, at least in my experience. Is, does that make sense? So doing somatic therapy, I'm not thinking. Right. What you're teaching us is is actually being very mindful of the thoughts and directing them and making choices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, kind of if I, if if the somatic stuff's not in order, I I can't seem to do the cognitive very well. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate the question, the exploration. Um, My, uh, my intention here is, is really, um, in terms of that kind of dichotomy you present between the cognitive and the somatic, the, the, the intellectual thought level and the embodied level is, is actually an interweaving of both. Mm-hmm. And that there's a, there is a, there's a use of the cognitive faculty when it's available to interact and guide the, the more embodied level, that we're, we're using both. Um, so in a certain way, it's like trying to be our own somatic therapist. It's actually learning how to track our own system and find out, you know, and, and stay attuned to, okay, is there balance here? If not, okay, how do I rebalance? So we're actually, we're actually starting to learn how to occupy that position of, of the practitioner who's providing a counterpoint. So you're saying that you're to try to use them together yeah. instead of having them be a separate yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to use them together. And um, I mean, my, my training in SE, somatic experiencing, really informs my practice. They're not separate for me. 
and everything that I'm presenting it really kind of sits together inside me. That the, the principles of needing to needing to be in balance in order to um, uh, deeply explore and learn from an experience um, uh, could, can be seen as um, are, are, are found in both practices. And the language for them is slightly different, and the, and the tools I find support each other. So, in, in terms of your first question about, need, you know, difficulty relaxing without another person there, um, I don't know. And what comes to mind for me to experiment with um, is one is paying attention so there there are there are levels of relaxation right and um, like very, very deep stages of relaxation and just sort of less keyed up but still anxious, you know? There, there are these levels of relaxation. So I think what's important, and one of the things that I've tried to point to a little bit today, is starting to discern when there's a shift and getting familiar on a somatic level with how that feels, even just a little bit of a shift. So for you to pay attention when you're with someone else to what those shifts feel like and really soaking them in, really like inhabiting them, enjoying them, receiving them. And then, and then just being loosely on the lookout for any incremental shift towards relaxation when you're on your own. They're there. They can't not be there. So in other words, don't say, I'm never relaxed. Right. <laughs> Just start to notice when you are less tense. Okay? Um, how to do that. Um, notice transitions between activities. When I get home from work, the f- when I walk in the door, something inside goes, oh, thank God. You know, there's just something about coming home. You know, and just the not being out in the world. I take my shoes off and put my sweatpants on. And it's just like, ah, you know, it's not huge. I, my mind still, might still be going and tracking what the next thing I need to do. But there's a shift. So just notice transitions between activities. You're driving somewhere and you get there. Ah, uh, notice that, okay? Um, so that's one. Two... Um, in your practice, when you practice, pay more attention to your out-breath. The in-breath, the cycle of an in-breath and an out-breath is a natural rhythm of activation and deactivation in the body. So pay more attention to the out-breath and you could even try um, lengthening the out-breath just slightly. Or not not forcing it, but just just a little bit slower, longer. Like you purse your lips slightly and like 
on the out-breath. Just do that a few times at the beginning of a meditation. Physiologically, that will emphasize that deactivation more. And then there's a third. We'll do, we'll, we'll do a relaxation uh, activity together in, the, in our next practice that you can do on your own. That's great. Thank you. Cool. You're welcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we'll come up here. Thank you for today. It's very good. Great. Um, Would you say it's fair to say that the first thing that we should do is develop a daily meditation practice and that that will lead us to the tools that you're talking about today? Hmm. Or do you think that it's better to get a practitioner like yourself or someone that could kind of... um, Show you the steps that I you see. need to take. I see. It really depends on the person and what you're working with. So, um, yes, having a daily meditation practice can be a huge support. But depending on what condition you're working with, physically or mentally, uh, you might need more support. I have a relative who um, has chronic uh, depression pretty pretty bad sometimes um suicidal sometimes um not so good to meditate for half an hour every day without instruction and guidance probably won't be helpful you know Uh, five minutes maybe yeah um but without really you know specific guidance um that might not be the best first step for that person um so someone with uh you know um, really, really intense, high-frequency physical pain who hasn't meditated much, um, probably very short periods of time, I, I think, until there's more facility and guidance. Uh, if there's that uh, level of intense, unpleasant physical sensation at a high frequency. So it really depends does that answer the question? Well, yeah, I mean, generally, I guess. Yeah. Um, I guess for myself, um, to be more specific, yeah. is that um, I have chronic pain. I've had it for over 20 years, have a back problem, and I take morphine for it every day. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to decrease the amount of morphine that I take. So um, my husband <laughs> is very encouraging of me to try meditation. Great. He has a daily meditation yep. and has had for, oh, probably two years. Um, and he's met some practitioners that deal in chronic pain. Great. So I didn't, in my mind, I think, well, first I should get a meditation practice before I try to use that tool to help me. Uh-huh. Um, so that's kind of where the question was coming from. Right. Because I know some of the things that you've talked about today are part of Buddhism and meditation. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was going yeah. with that. I would start small. Try try just doing five minutes once or twice a day. Yeah, I, I, I do, you know, I go to Sangha occasionally. I, I, I yeah. do 45 minutes at a time oh, now and then, but I'm not consistent. Okay. Yeah, so if you can sit for 45 minutes every now and then, I would, I would say yes. You know, start trying to develop a daily practice. Choose an amount of time that's manageable and, and realistic. Okay. So don't, you know, if you, if you know you're not going to sit for 45 minutes every day, then don't. 
Yeah, do, that's what my husband does. <laughs> do tw- do twenty. I, yeah, you know, do, that. do something that's really where you can really say, yeah, I can commit to this. That's this is doable. You know, ten minutes, twenty minutes, whatever it is, and then and then really do it. Do it for a week, every day, and 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 choose um, you know one or two of the tools that we've explored today, and just work with it in in those twenty minutes, not exclusively, but as needed. You know, and then over time start to add in other tools, extend the time, and then as questions arise, then you have something to talk about with a practitioner that you're seeking advice for. Okay. Yeah. That makes total sense. Thank you. You're welcome. So this woman in the plaid shirt in the front. Um, Hello, I'm Denise, and thank you for today. Denise? Yes, I started my meditation practice long before I knew it was meditation practice. I grew up in San Diego on the beach, and I found going to the beach and breathing with the waves put me in a a state of great performance. I would do it before exams and and things like that. So after... um, finding meditation as an answer to chronic pain, mm-hmm. it wasn't until the first time that I sort of got there that I said, oh, I, that's familiar. I mm. know this feeling. Mm. This is a feeling of deep relaxation that mm. I used to have on the beach. Mm. And um, it was a great uh, source of comfort to know that I knew what that relaxed state was. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had a place to go there with it. Um, but when I started meditation as an answer to chronic pain, the first thing I was taught was to do a body scan Mm -hmm. every morning when I first woke up before I got out of the bed, Mm -hmm. went to the bathroom, because my pain was the first thing I felt. Yeah. And they wanted me to recognize that my entire body was not in pain. Right, right. There was a specific part of my body that was actually less than 10% of my body that right. was in pain. Right. And I did the, I still do the body scans every yep. morning, but they're not as long. Okay. And they were guided body yep. scans, which were very helpful. Great. Um, you said something about don't, don't go into pain without a way of getting out. Yeah. And I thought, who goes into pain? Who, who does that? Who who has the choice of going into pain? Thank <laughs> it, you. It just kind of Thank you. it kind of threw me when you said that. Thank but you. then I just thought about the fact that I just had my first tattoo, and that was <laughs> definitely going into pain um, willingly. Yeah. Unknowingly, I didn't really have any sense of what I was getting into, but. I was there, but what got me through this three-hour session was my meditation practice. Great. Um, okay. Dang, it, it, it really so, got me through it. The, yeah. the artist said he thought I had taken some drugs. Because you, yeah. <laughs> really, he said, he said, yeah. what did you take? You stayed yeah. so still for three hours and I said, I didn't take anything. I've been meditating. Great. And he was um, yeah. excited about learning about oh, meditating. Cool. <laughs> so let me, um, let me clarify what I meant when I said don't go in if you can't get, get out. And you'll forgive me. I'm just looking. There they are. 
Um, I didn't mean. Uh, I didn't mean. Don't intentionally induce pain. <laughs> I, I I would not recommend intentionally inducing pain ever, uh, um, unless you're getting a tattoo. <laughs> Uh, what I meant was, when pain has arisen, don't put your attention on the pain. Don't go into the painful sensation with your awareness unless you can come back out. So when I say don't go into pain, I mean when, I mean when there's already a painful sensation present, sometimes our tendency can be to dive right into it it's like we go, oh, where is, okay, and then we're going to be mindful of it, or like we just get obsessed with it, and it's like all we feel. So to actually say, well, like I'm not actually going to go there until first I've got someplace else, a counterpoint to rest my attention, which is like doing that body scan and recognizing, hey, there's 90% of my body that isn't in pain. Once that 90%, if that 90% of your body isn't in your awareness, or even 5%, being with the 10% that's in pain is not going to be helpful because it's going to be overwhelming because it's like it's all there is. But once we know that there's something else, then that part that's in pain isn't so overwhelming because there's something outside of it. So we don't want to go into the painful sensation unless we have someplace else apart from it that we can come out. And this is a training tool. There are times where maybe we can't get out of it it's like it, it is taking up the whole screen. And then we do what we can to be with it. But in our practice and in our training, we can, we can balance, we can do this consciously. And this builds capacity to be with more and more intensity in a balanced way. And that's something that we train in. And then our capacity to be with painful sensations grows and grows and grows. Yeah. This woman in front. Um, well, just one thing to what you said about going into the pain. For me, there's been times when, um, when I'm dealing with pain that I, and I have it. I I have an extremely high pain tolerance and live with an extreme amount of pain in my entire body, and everywhere there's skin on our body, so everywhere, and I I do find that. That I have a sense of curiosity about it and wanting to understand it and know it, and I will go into it. So, I, to me, that's part of what you're mm-hmm. saying. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to hear you talk about sitting in meditation in community um, with pain and and being still in certain positions and in, in like meditation position, um, and then having more pain because of like the posture of meditation in general. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know exactly what to say. And, and I also react to, to um, you, every time you say breezes and whatever, I... I uh, that's I, painful I, for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm really temperature and touch sensitive. Yep. So um, that can happen sitting in meditation too, right. just the temperature of the room changes. Right. And I'm just curious to hear you talk about that since we're in Spirit Rock. And, yeah. Like if we're here... I, I tend to not come regularly, yeah. partly because I know that right. um, yeah. it ends up becoming a more uncomfortable situation yeah. sometimes. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
I want to respond to your question in two ways because there's there's the question specifically of what you're talking about being in community and that dance and then there's the more general question of like moving during meditation when we're in pain um, which are both really important questions uh, so on the on, on the first on the first question um, so my, my partner has um, uh, chronic facial pain that uh, she can't sit still for, for too long. It gets worse. And she will sit in a meeting or in a meditation hall and not move and end up worse. And I'm always like, I was like, stand up, move, you know, but she doesn't want to because it's socially awkward or she doesn't want to offend. Or um, So all that to say, I can, I can relate to that, that challenge. Um, so I think what what I would suggest is um, um, talk to the teacher beforehand. So arrive early, and um, if uh, and find out who, who talk to the manager. If you, if you can't find the teacher, and then if uh, let them know that you know I have a chronic pain condition, I need to move sometimes during meditation practice. I wanted to let the teacher know. Can I you know? If, if it's hard to just connect with the teacher, just basically to get the message to whoever's running the day long that, look, I need to move, right? Um, so that at least that person knows. And then um, sit in a place where it's going to be less disruptive to others, right? So, you know, some people need to stand and sit and lie down and that's natural. And so just finding a place off to the side or in the back where you can do that. Um, does that address the first part of the community piece? Yeah. And also just, and also just the, what you said about like sitting, sitting can actually cause its own, cause its own pain. And, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes I think sitting in meditation just brings more awareness. Mm-hmm. We end up becoming more aware of whatever pain Right, right. Um, so she's saying that sitting in meditation can bring more pain sometimes just by sitting still. And then sometimes the, it's like the pain that's present actually gets magnified, right? Yeah. So um, Thoughts are just organizing. So there's definitely something to be said for finding each of us, finding the posture or postures that work best for us, whether that's standing, sitting, walking, or lying down. Um, I know a meditation teacher who does all of her interviews walking because she has chronic body pain and can't sit doing an interview so her interviews are walking so you might need to at times do walking practice quietly and slowly in the back of the hall you know checking with the teacher if that's okay Um, when you're sitting or reclining um, using some of these tools for balance is going to be really important as the mind gets quieter, if the painful sensation gets louder, really strengthening the ability 
to um, strengthening the connection with other sensation experience, with other experience, and not just physical sensation, uh, sound, sight. Learning, strengthening the ability to be mindful, to, to consciously place your attention in other areas. Um, so, and that's like that's a muscle that needs to be strengthened to um, to, to 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 alternate to go to to the sen- stay with the sensation for a moment, and then and then put your attention somewhere else, and and use and let that other place be your anchor and stay with it as long as you can. And then come back and alternate, and find one or two uh, reference points, counterpoints, neutral anchors that you can develop a strong relationship with, and work with those. Could be sound. Could just be seeing. Okay, a third a third option. A third option is to move a part of your body very slowly and continually. So um, Joseph tells a story of being on a long retreat and doing something terrible to his back and being in agony and not being able to move. And his, his meditation practice was this. Just lifting one finger each at a time, right? So you, can, you could do something like that where you're just very, you know, maybe you're sitting or you're reclining, but you're not focusing on the body per se, but you're focusing on the movement, right? And just, just, just doing that one finger at a time, all ten digits or something, something like that. So being creative, uh, giving, and again, the principle is the same, is that we're giving the mind another experience to be mindful of. That's easy to feel, that's easy to connect with, like the movement, As far as like when to move during meditation, which is a more general question, um, this is just an, an investigation and something that we have to each experiment with in, in our practice. You know, one wants to be intelligent about it and, and not cause damage or injure, injure oneself, uh, but at the same time uh, not always be moving uh, reactively when there's an unpleasant sensation in the body. Uh, so there are different ways to kind of just explore it. Uh, sometimes gi- as, uh, giving yourself just a rule of thumb that says, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be with the sensation three times, a strong unpleasant sensation, note it three times and then move. And then you're not thinking about it, you know. Or if you're, if you're exploring an uncomfortable sensation and you feel like you want to move, uh, maybe it's a count to five or a count to ten to just allow some of the reactivity to be known and die down. So you give yourself that span of a five count or a ten count, and then you move slowly. So things like this. So we've had a lot of words. Um, why don't we take um, a short break? Uh, for stretching, uh, bathroom, and then come back together again uh, in a little more than five minutes. Take like, you know, seven minutes, eight minutes. We'll come back and do some practice together.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.